You're listening to the So What Podcast. Heaven comes to earth, and there's a new heaven and a new earth, and it's here. Yeah. This is remade and restored into what it was always supposed to be. So this is a conversation I have with a lot of people speculating about what heaven is going to be like, and we always go to the occupation. Like, occupation is a good thing. Do you like doing those things on earth? Maybe you were meant to do them. And the thing is, because God is an infinite being, it's never going to be old. Outside of the presence of sin, it will infinitely glorify him. Welcome to the So What Podcast, where we discuss theological and philosophical issues to ask that obvious question, so what? I'm your host, Kyle Bashirs, and I'm joined by our cast of contributors, Dave Kakish, Matt O'Reilly, and Brad Mills. On this episode, the cast wraps up our series on the Apostles' Creed by discussing the line, We believe in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We'd ask that you be sure to tune into our next series, The Gospel According to Heretics, where we will look at various heresies throughout church history. We'll be starting that series with the next episode. Well, before we head over to this last discussion on the Apostles' Creed, we would just like to thank you for listening to So What Podcast or the series and for sharing it with your friends. If you enjoy the show, please help the podcast grow by rating and reviewing it in iTunes. You can find out more information about the show and any of its contributors at SoWhatPodcast.com. Questions about this and any future episodes can be submitted by emailing hello at SoWhatPodcast.com. You can keep up with the latest news by following us on Twitter at SoWhat underscore podcast. Let's head over to our talk. All right, gents, this is the last episode in our series on the Apostles' Creed, and we're going to look at the last line, we believe in the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body, life everlasting, amen. So we're doing something a little bit differently. Unfortunately, Matt couldn't be with us, but we have uh, a, a very good substitute, I would say, Travis Buchanan. So thanks for joining us. My pleasure. You've been Thank on you. the show before. Thanks for asking me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And you're going to be with us in the future. Yes. So our next series, Gospel According to Heretics, you're going to be one of the regular contributors for. Oh, that wasn't an homage to what we'll be discussing today, Life Everlasting? No, that you're wasn't. Gonna, you're going to be with us in yes, the future. I'll be with you forever. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'm not that clever. I try. I'm not that clever. So the forgiveness of sins or resurrection body, life everlasting. Amen. What do you guys see in that? Well, I mean, to me, it's a, a pretty cool fact that they're all tied together here at the end of the Apostles' Creed. I mean, um, they all, in a sense, build on each other. That We can't have life everlasting with God um, as sinners. Uh, God's holy and calls us to be holy. Anything that comes into His presence must be holy or it's completely obliterated. And so without the forgiveness of sins, um, we don't have a hope of a life everlasting with God. So I think to me, just the fact that as we end this series, we're hitting all three at once. They tied them together here in the Apostles' Creed. Um, it's just a pretty cool fact. 
Yeah, I agree. At the basic fundamental level, we believe in the forgiveness of sin. And so that presupposes that sin's a problem, and it also presupposes that there has been a solution to that problem. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree with that. Um, you know, from my perspective, when I look at the world and, and uh, you know, watching the news in the morning, um, our world's a messed up place, you know, and um, sometimes I think Christians, I uh, know I'm guilty of this, we tend to get our, our focus on those um, earthly realities, the problems in our country, around the world, and uh, we really hope for uh, some kind of political solution. But the reality of it is, is that those things are, are the consequences of a bunch of sinners uh, living according to their own selfishness. And um, I think the Christian faith offers a wonderful picture of a, a future world where God has punished his enemies and has uh, completely remade things, a new heaven and a new earth. But, yeah, I think you're exactly right, Kyle. I mean, the Christian faith ultimately at its core is a, uh, you know, an example of, uh, and maybe, Travis, you can hit this. We were talking about this before we were recording. But, I mean, it's the, the only faith that really sets itself apart by offering forgiveness, um, a removal of sin. Yeah, I think that I think that is a hugely important point. I think there's a, several things in this. One is if you think of a a correspondence theory of truth, I think it's important that our faith acknowledges that the world is a broken place and that things are not the way they're supposed to be. Uh, I'm sure there are philosophies out there and religions and self-improvement programs that don't start from that. Uh and that's not the starting place in Christianity, I guess. So that's important to say. There was a garden before there was a fall. So it's not where we begin. But it is a helpful, um, if I'm concerned that my faith corresponds to reality and that I don't have to uh, live in a la-la land uh, to confess Christianity, but I can deal with some hard realities that are facing humanity, which, of course, are agitated in a in an election year and mm. in a political cycle with right. all the charged rhetoric and... Um, and what have you. So, so I think just starting off, it's important that you have to read that phrase and say, well, what's sin and why would it need to be forgiven? And what, what kind of picture of the, of the world is this painting? But Dave, you wanted to... Uh, when we're talking about forgiveness of sins, of course, we mean through the atonement of Jesus Christ, right. through the bloodshed for us. And uh, when we typically talk about the atonement, we talk about you know penal substitutionary atonement that Christ took the penalty for sin, which was death, in our place. So penal punishment substitution in our place, and through which we have gained this atonement. We've been purchased. We've been paid for. And when we talk about the atonement and forgiveness of sins, I mean that includes a few facets that I wonder if we could talk about. Uh, what what is propitiation? Hmm. Yeah, that's good. And what is expiation? Mm-hmm. When do we experience forgiveness of sins? Mm-hmm. When will our bodies be resurrected? Is there a period between, uh, if you get what I'm hinting at? And so yeah. I'm throwing that volleyball up, and who wants to bump it? I think when it comes to the atonement, it's important to preserve uh, multiple perspectives uh, that we see in Scripture. And uh, Was it I, Luther that, that called it a jewel that has... The diamond. The diamond, right. Multiple sides to it that... Yeah. that you can't just look at one side, one cut, because you lose the fullness. It's a three-dimensional shape that has many different sides. Yeah. yeah. But. No, I think that's great. I think that's a great just general practice with any of God's words 
um, that you hold them up like a jewel and there are lots of different facets to it and mm -hmm. a depth and a radiance and a richness to it. But then the doctrine of the atonement is obviously one of the most precious doctrines contained in Scripture, and that um, especially has uh, a variety of, uh, of refracted light that it casts in different mm -hmm. areas. But obviously penal substitutionary theory of atonement um, is one of the dominant ones, and especially in Reformed <laughs> theology. Well, I was going to say, like, that's not the one I definitely wanted to focus on yep. here. I, I wanted to talk about, you know, what is a pardon? And is it different than expiation? And, yeah. So. No, absolutely. So I just want to affirm up the validity of multiple perspectives and that God yep. wants us to. I mean, it's an inex the transaction that takes place on the cross and everything leading up to it and looking back to it is such an inexhaustible wealth of truth and a fount of for doctrine that um, I'm glad that we can talk about Christus Victor or Exemplar. propitiation or reconciliation mm -hmm. or redemption sure. and that God has presented a variety of images and metaphors for us to try and penetrate this, this mystery and this good news. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, expiation, propitiation does to tie those, yeah. those two thoughts together. Cause you had one, when we started off talking about other religions, yeah. right? And this is a, uh, there's a common stream through it. And maybe to pick up the first term to talk about, what does propitiation mean? Mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting that, especially among primitive religions, there's always this sense of a need for propitiation. Should we for, define that? We should define it. What is propitiation? It's making right or pleasing God with a sacrifice, right? And so you, you see this all across the board in animistic religions today in Africa, traditional African religions. Um, here in Native America, there was a lot of that type of uh, desire to appease the gods. Terry Muck breaks down all world religions by saying they all ask four different questions. What is ideal? What went wrong? What corrects the wrong? And how shall we live in light of it? And that number three, every single religion has an answer for what corrects the wrong. Something was good. There was a garden state. There is an ideal. Even secularism has Not New this. Jersey. Not New Jersey. No, no, no. Yeah. Not the garden state. No. Yeah. But there is an ideal. Even in secular humanism, the ideal is a utopia, right? Mm -hmm. Perhaps driven by scientism or, or those types of we're free from religion. It's a, there's an ideal. What went wrong, you know, that's the sin issue. But what corrects the wrong, more often than not, there has to be a propitiation made. You have wronged a god or you have wronged God, and from Christianity's uh, viewpoint, which coheres with reality, we have sinned against a holy God, and that God must be pleased with a sacrifice that covers that sin. Yeah. Yeah, I think the Old Testament provides a helpful way of us to take those maybe abstract things and, and put flesh on them when the you know worshiper would show up to the tabernacle or temple with an animal to be sacrificed in his place, you know, mm. um, he deserves the punishment for his sin, but instead of him dying, the animal takes his place. Um, and that's ordained by God. So yeah, that for sure in world religions, but also in the old Testament. Can I be uncouth for a second Go and, for it. and answer my own question? I, yeah. This is all amazing stuff. I'm thinking, uh, especially of a new believer who kind of wonders, I believe I confess that I'm a sinner. I believe I can do nothing to make myself right with God. I believe that Jesus died for me to forgive my sins. I'm just trying to figure out what that means. Is it everything I did from birth to mm, this moment? Yeah, yeah. 
is it moving forward? What's my role moving forward? Um, am I pardoned? That is, um, there's been adjudication that says he's no longer guilty. Uh, but does that mean I'm at square at zero? I've even the score when it comes to righteousness, unrighteousness, because my sins are forgiven. Or mm. am I in the positive? Uh, what happens to the guilt of my sin and where did it go? Mm-hmm. Uh, those are the kind of questions I'm thinking of. Mm-hmm. Is that too tangential? Or? No, I think that's good. I think that's good. So forgiveness of sins, past, present, and future, period. Because you would have to have a repropitiation over and over and mm-hmm. over again. And you did until 30 AD or 33 AD in Jewish religion. So there you go. Why is that, though? I mean... Unpack the blood of second. bulls and goats right. could never satisfy. Right. So you have this system over and over and over again. Every single year, the high priest puts the guilt and the sin of the people on one animal, and then and then it's gone. But it has to happen every single year, or else they fall under condemnation again. But Paul says because of the sacrifice of Christ, that being the fulfillment of all the temple sacrifices in the Old Testament, there is now no condemnation. Mm. That doesn't mean that we stop sinning. But it means that there is no more condemnation for our sin because all of that sin has been placed on the cross. In fact, he goes so far as to say in Galatians that if you move away from that grace, if you say there's not quite enough done for me, I have to do something in order to appease God, in order to make a propitiation in addition to what Christ has done, you're essentially saying that what happened on the cross was not good enough. That's right. That Christ's sacrifice was insufficient. I have to add something to it. Absolutely. Uh, So it's not that you quit sinning. It's that all sin, past, present, and future, has been paid for in full. So by propitiation, Kyle has defined it as doing something to satisfy God's wrath, mm-hmm. right? It's a well, that, payment made to That God. hasn't been said yet, so... No, he, did, I, he defined propitiation. The, at, he's, at he said appeasing ago. God, but I do want to make explicit the yeah. notion of wrath, wrath with the word propitiation, which is not necessarily captured in yeah. the other images used to speak of atonement. So, well, th- so, so if propitiation is the satisfaction of God's wrath, right he paid the price and god's wrath is satisfied the other side of the coin there is expiation Mm -hmm. right since god paid the price expiation says we're no longer liable to satisfy the penalty Mm -hmm. Uh, expiation means our liability to suffer since penalty has been removed it's been eliminated. So Second Corinthians five nineteen, not counting their trespasses against them. Mm-hmm. Colossians two fourteen, canceling the record of their sin. Uh, so not because Christ did it, it's the onus to pay for it is no longer on me. Right. I've been expiated, mm-hmm. um, and that's why purgatory can't exist, mm-hmm. right? Because God satisfied. You said it, the wrath, the punishment for all my sins, past present and future mm-hmm. uh and and a pardoned person is still a guilty person uh can i can i d- define that for a second for yeah yeah please and so there's a story uh, it's a true story i can't remember which president it was um where a, a man committed a murder and he was found guilty even though he pleaded innocent right and um uh, one of the last acts of the sitting president w- was to pardon this man. And so they went to give him his pardon and um, he had to sign a, a slip that says, you know, I, I accept this pardon. And by accepting this pardon, I, you know, I 
confess that I'm guilty. Um, but he refused to sign it because he's, he claimed innocence and he persisted that he was innocent. And so it ended up going to the Supreme court and they were saying, you know, implicit in signing off that you accept a pardon is accepting the charge of guilt. If you maintain that you're innocent, you cannot be pardoned. So we are pardoned from our sins, but by being pardoned from our sins, we're saying we are guilty and we need to be excused from paying it. Mm. Who pays it? Propitiation. Mm -hmm. Jesus. Now expiation, I no longer have to pay it. Well, now I'm at break even. I'm at negative righteousness, unrighteousness. My sins are forgiven and I haven't done anything in the positive, but that's not where it stops. Then there's imputation, right? Christ Mm. gives us his righteousness. So Mm -hmm. not only do I have a zero balance where I was previously in debt, but I have an infinite balance moving here on out where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And so my sins are past, present, future are forgiven in all senses of those words. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. No, that is good. I, you'll hear repeated uh, as just a piece of pop Christianity um, that it can be as if you never sinned or mm-hmm. forgiveness Justified. spoken of in those terms Justified. of, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, you know, God can make it as if you never sinned, but that's not true, hmm. like you're saying, because you're signing the pardon. And so it's never as if you had never sin. Now, I, n- I understand what people are saying. They're saying you can have that relationship restored yeah. that was present originally in the garden before man had sinned, that intimacy, um, that closeness. But it will never be as if you had never sinned. It mm-hmm. will be as if you had sinned. So you would just say, no, we believe the gospel. We don't believe things reset. We believe you did sin and God made a perfect satisfaction sure. for your sin yeah. and then credited that to your account and yeah. removed all of the guilt, not by just legal fiction or making it go away, but by actually satisfying it to the last right. drop. And and we, when we confessed and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and so that we could be saved, uh, we signed that pardon and our signature is on his hands, mm-hmm. right? He still bears the scars. Right. It's proof, you know? Uh, and the fact that even in the post post resurrection in his glorified body, Jesus still bears the scars, the proof of our guilt, uh, though he has separated our sin from us for, as far as the East is. From what the West. a beautiful transition to the resurrection of the body. I do Dave, think so. Uh, yeah. Uh, what a great transition. So were so you f- going to say something? For, yeah, I, I was yeah. actually going to tag something onto you. You had a great term legal fiction because the inverse of that is God would be unjust if he said, you know what? I know you sinned. But the deal is, I'm just going to turn the other way, wink, nudge a little, and then we'll we'll just say this never happened. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, imagine how unjust it would be to the family uh, of a victim who was murdered. And the judge said, I know he murdered that individual, but I don't know. He seems really sorry about it. I'm just not going to cast a sentence whatsoever. In this case, we'll ignore the law. Exactly. Exactly. And it's not that God's ignoring the law or else he would be unjust. Yeah. It's that he's fulfilling the law. Yeah. In all that that entails. That's good. This is all beautifully collected in Romans 3, 21 through 26. That's right. uh, Where the word propitiation is used. um, One of the only two places in the New Testament there in Hebrews 9, speaking in the mercy seat. And, uh, that is the whole point or Mm -hmm. one of the main points of that section is how can God be righteous and yet forgive wicked people Mm -hmm. and still vindicate his righteousness? 
because you would think it would only be through judgment that God could show that he's righteous because he is not that unjust law judge who says the law doesn't matter. I'm not going to prosecute in this case. Um, but he does prosecute. It's that Jesus is put forward as the propitiation for sins so that God can righteously satisfy his wrath and mm-hmm. punish sin mm-hmm. and yet simultaneously forgive sinners because of this vicarious sacrifice that has been offered in fulfillment of all of the Old Testament sacrifices and types that were a shadow of Jesus's perfect coming sacrifice. And even in that passage, it says God was showing forbearance in Old Testament times. He was allowing the imperfect system of animal sacrifice to set sin aside, essentially, and set wrath aside until its full payment could later be made in Christ. Resurrection body. We've talked a lot about the resurrection body on this show. I I would refer to listeners, it's a two-part episode on the ascension of Christ where we talk about his resurrected body and we get into issues uh, over what his body was like and the fact that he is the first fruits, uh, what our body would look like. But I want to re-hit some issues with the resurrection body because when the early church formulated this creed, they intended for us to understand that this is a physical body. It is the eternal marriage of our souls to a physical existence, a spiritual and immaterial and a, and a physical or material existence. How important do you think that is uh, for the church to understand and to hear today? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's essential. Um, I know we're going to move into this new series on the early heretics, and one of the the uh, you know the obvious conflict was over the person of Jesus Christ, you know. And one of the the heresies we're going to talk about is the view that um, you know Jesus wasn't uh, a true human that. Uh, he didn't have a true fleshly existence, and yeah, it was rejected because it's clear that in the person of Jesus Christ, you know, uh, we have a perfect, um, you know, example of a, a God and man in the flesh. And so, I, I think the main thing to think about is that, you know, we tend to, um, while maybe not not bearing the the same name, we tend to emphasize spiritual over physical. And um, there's no no clearer example of that than when we think about um, what we're going to talk about, I guess, in the life everlasting. But in heaven, um, we think of ourselves as, um, you know, the angel floating on the cloud playing the harp, you know, some sort of disembodied spiritual existence for all eternity. And uh, that's not what the Bible presents to us as our future hope. Um, the Apostle Paul in Second Corinthians five speaks of the way we think about ourselves here and he uses language that we often think of. He says, uh, you know, uh, he says, we know that if our earthly tent, which is our current bodies, um, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. And um, he, he's putting these two, this this current house we live in and the future house not made with, uh, with hands, but built by God. He's putting those things over against each other. We have a earthly physical existence, and we're going to have a future um, heavenly new earth uh, existence that's bodily just the same. So um, I know that was already convoluted, but if you guys want to help clean it up, I mean, I think to me that the reality is the resurrection body is super essential, but often forgotten. I agree. I mean, I, I think what it does is it, and we've talked about this before, 
it reaffirms that when God created this universe, in particular, on the last day of his creation, human beings being both God-breathed or, or indwelt with God's breath his, uh, and physical beings, he looked back and he said that this is very good. This is a reaffirmation of this creation being very good. It's not something that we're trying to escape, right? The early church struggled with that, as you nodded to, that it's the spiritual over the physical body. Uh, I think sometimes with a lot of Eastern influence in our culture, the idea is to uh, achieve some sort of ethereal enlightenment. Uh, So we have a lot of distaste or distrust of the material world, and we can go to an immaterial world. Uh, That's just not simply what scripture teaches. It teaches that both are your your full identity is both your soul and your physical body. It's not like we're we're here just temporarily entrapped in these uh, flesh cases and one day we're going to be emancipated from them. Can I can I bring up uh, an omission? Uh, notice it doesn't say anything about heaven. Uh, resurrection body, life everlasting. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I die, I'm going to heaven. But I'm not staying in heaven. Do you know what I mean? I do. What do you mean? In Revelation 21, verses 1 and 3, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Mm -hmm. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And I heard a a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them forever. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. So heaven comes to earth and there's a new heaven and a new earth, and it's here. Yeah. <laughs> this is remade and restored into what it was always supposed to be. I mean, growing up, I had, oh, the biggest terrifying fear of heaven. I mean, I would stay up at night, and I would think about heaven, and it would make my stomach hurt so bad that I would get up and vomit sometimes. And I would tell my parents, I don't want to go there. And they couldn't understand, but I was just thinking forever and ever and ever and ever, and it never stops. And from what I hear, the angels are always singing, holy, 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 for all, I'm going to say three words, forever and ever and ever and ever. Like, that is the most miserable thing that I can think of, and I can't fathom a forever and ever, a no ending, a no day and no night. And Mm -hmm. every time someone explained it to me, it just made my fear that much worse. And because I was a weirdly logical kid, the only thing that ever talked me down from the ledge was thinking, I don't want to go to heaven. If I don't go to heaven, I can't die. And if I never die, how long will I live? I guess I would live forever. If I live forever on earth, well, I'm kind of in the same. And then (laughs) as I read the Bible and became a believer and read with the spirit, like, Okay, what I long for is to live forever on earth with God. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, I'm, I will go to where he is in the intermediate state, but when he judges the living and the dead, he will come to us. And he, what, what does he say? God is with men and he will live with them. Yeah. Uh, I, Brad has some things, I think, from N.T. Wright, who's been one of the most helpful voices in the church, correcting uh, the popular conception of heaven, which is not helpful Uh And heaven, I think, is often conceived, as you're describing, as an eternal church service in the sky, which to me at least sounds a lot more like hell than it does heaven. And maybe to the six-year-old David Kakish, that was was true also. And so, you, I mean, you see it played out in movies. I think it was City of Angels where uh, the main character is 
Nick Cage, of course, beautiful, beautiful actor. <laughs> Maybe that could be the lead-in for the for the. John knows every year he for gets the episode. older, his sideburns keep going higher and so higher up the side of his. Heaven head. is conceived there as a, a library where you dress in black and just kind of aimlessly wander the uh, you know the stalls. And so when the main character is presented with the option of having sex with Meg Ryan or continuing to um, exist in this you know library eternal boredom you know well what what is he going to choose and a lot of people say yeah that's right you know like christianity i'd rather party in hell than i would serve in heaven and you know um it's it's really not it doesn't capture the imagination of anyone a a harp and a cloud um you know it's important i think to to uh to change the trajectory of of our imagination and see it as from not just going up to somewhere else to to come down. So I think defining heaven is important. Like what does that mean? Um, you know, most people just think of something above the clouds, but Jesus in revelation 21 five, I think it is. He says, behold, I am making all things new. And I think it's important that he doesn't say I'm making all new things Mm -hmm. to feed that kind of misapplication of dispensationalism that it's all going to burn anyway so it doesn't matter the earth doesn't matter your right. your life on earth doesn't matter um you know books culture none of that is significant why, it's all just going to burn why polish yeah. brass on a sinking ship yeah exactly yeah exactly but jesus doesn't say i'm going to make all new things and completely destroy life and it's going to be discontinuous with mm-hmm. everything you've known he says i'm going to make all things new i'm going to renew the creation i'm going to renew earth and heaven is going to come down and then finally what began in eden can be consummated that the dwelling of god will be with man permanently the hope of the new creation uh, making all things new um i think uh, one of the quotes i love from uh, from nt wright from surprise by hope is not that we have the uh, confidence that the early church had about a future resurrection, but uh, he says we have a vague and fuzzy optimism that somehow things may work out in the end. And I think that's the case. You know, a lot of us growing up heard about this eternal life that we've been promised by Jesus. And um, we look around at our world and it doesn't seem like anything's happening. And it can cause a good bit of discouragement. But the reality is, is if Jesus is making all things new and there is a new creation coming, uh, we can really trust him because it's already begun. Uh, Jesus' own resurrection is the first fruits and is the evidence um, positively stated for our future hope. Um, This new creation that he promised isn't something that's going to happen someday, but the, the first and uh, definitive act of it has already happened in Jesus's own resurrection. So I think it gives us a, a little bit of confidence for that, that future hope. Um, the second thing I would say, um, you know, when you describe, I've never seen the movie with Nicolas Cage and, uh, and Meg Ryan, but, you know, when you describe a, a, a wonderful library, uh, there are some of us who that can be too bad. You know, we could, we could imagine ourselves spending time in the great, uh, heavenly library for all eternity, and it would be awesome. And um, I think part of that that picture there goes back to Jesus' own words when he talked about uh, storing up treasures on earth. And he says, don't store up treasures for yourself on earth, um, you know, where moths destroy, rust uh, corrodes, and thieves break in, and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And he concludes that with where your treasure is, there your heart is also. 
And I think a lot of us maybe struggle to a certain extent with the picture of heaven because um, our heart maybe isn't in the right place. Uh, you know, gr- I grew up a little bit in Georgia, and there was this T-shirt that I remember some of my friends having in middle school that uh, was about heaven. And it, and it was basically like, you know, if heaven ain't a lot like Athens, where the University of Georgia is, then I don't want to go. And there's the song, you know, if heaven ain't a lot like Dixie, I don't want to go. Um, you know, people paint for themselves pictures of heaven that they want to see. And if God isn't your treasure, then I don't know if you really want to spend eternity in heaven because that is, you know, what's going to be happening is the worship of him. So those are just a couple of thoughts I had, you know, the, the fact that if God is our treasure, then spending eternity with him, it sounds awesome. Yeah. Now, uh, I would agree. I think part of the answer then is recapturing a more robust understanding of worship and what worship is. Um, to reduce it to a three-word refrain uh, that is unendingly sung or spoken yeah. doesn't really, I mean, how long can one do that? But if you look at worship in uh, in Romans 12, 1, for, and two, for example, of you know that our lives are to be a living sacrifice, where where everything we do, yeah, whether we right. eat or drink, we do to the glory yeah. of God. Yeah. Um, that's not Romans twelve; that's First Corinthians ten. But um, the idea that uh, worship is more than just what one associates with a once a week activity in a in a church building, mm-hmm. um, but incorporates eating and drinking and relationships and community Amen. and goals and vocation. Um, I, I assume there'll be work for us to do. Yeah. Um, we'll have relationships with each other. We'll still converse yeah, right. and know one right. another. Yeah. It's a functioning city. You've been, mm-hmm. yeah, you've been faithful over a little. I'm going to put you over much. Yeah. You know, the, the, the people that were not on the speaking circuit and at conferences and the celebrity Christians, these are people that just meekly and humbly gave their life in a way that was never reported in the news or tweeted about are going to be in charge of cities because of how faithful they were with um, what God had entrusted them with, whether that was just a child to care for or a And because there's no more sin, you won't covet that. It won't cause you to be, you will celebrate it. Mm -hmm. It will bring joy to you in the same way that I feel so much pride in seeing my kids honor God. Uh, I wish we could feel that for each other uh, instead of having our someone else's success feel like our failure. Uh, your your point's well taken, Brad, that if if a person does not delight in Christ in their life and that the th- if the things of God bring them no pleasure, then heaven is not going to be a place that they would want to be at. And I think that's, I mean, you could even, Lewis's great divorce, um, you know, there's a sense in which... Uh, at least people will try and conceive of heaven and hell as the person who goes to hell is the one who's to whom God says thy will be done Mm -hmm. as opposed to the person who goes to heaven is the one who says to God thy will be done um you know the the person who rejects Christ ultimately doesn't want um you know heaven would be experienced as hell for that soul because it's so curved in on itself. And I, I love Lewis's depiction of hell and, and the great divorce of the people because they can't get along. They can't stand. They keep moving further and further away from each other. Yeah. It's antisocial. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas in, in heaven, I mean, or Protestant Christianity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Look out. I'm just going to go. I can't deal with this podcast. I'm going to start my own podcast across <laughs> the street at my new church. But, but I'm to, just teasing somewhat. But to finish your point, 2% please. teasing. I mean, what is heaven? 
pictured as for us but a giant party yeah the great wedding feast of the lamb we're going to be sitting next to brothers and sisters in christ that span across space and time you know people that we've met gender socioeconomic it doesn't matter that's right if you were in christ you were at that table and it is a huge community the way that it was meant to be relationally between one another Mm -hmm. as in human beings and between us and god yeah in the sentiment that Brad was sharing earlier, which is John Piper popularized it for me, at least in some of his uh, um, sermons and sound bites of God is the gospel. And, you know, if you if you uh, don't desire God, then the gospel is not going to be good news to you. If you don't love the things of God, then the gospel is not good news uh, in one sense of, of spending eternity in his presence. But I think there is the possibly the danger of being too spiritual for God and becoming the elder brother from the parable of the prodigal son mm-hmm. who when the party is thrown for the sinners who come back um, is there a sense of I, I, I just wanted to do really spiritual things in heaven I wanted to sing the holy 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 hymn I don't want all of this earthly life cultural um, work you know so, to continue I want the the mountaintop I, I know you, you think this, and, and we're just assuming it, but just to be overwhelmingly clear, the reason you think that vocation and relationships will be operative in the new heavens, in the new garden, is because they were in the first prior to the fall. Yeah. Adam so is given a job. Out. Adam right. is called alone and yeah. given community in Eve. This is before fall. This is while things are still very good. Um, what's not good is that he doesn't have community. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have relationships. God created Adam and gave him a task. Name the animals, tend mm-hmm. to the garden. There is work to be done. Create culture. Mm-hmm. And so that is a creation mandate and not, well, crap, you guys really screwed this up. You need something to do till I'm going to come. So here's yeah. some work to do. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Get busy. Get on with philosophy and, when and you architecture think, When and you think about that, that culture creation. Then I'll come back and destroy it all. <laughs> Right, good job. And take you to my yeah, I, so this sanctuary is, where you can sing. So this is a conversation I have with a lot of people about speculating about you know what heaven is going to be like. And we always go to the occupation. Like occupation is a good thing. We're meant to mm-hmm. have something to do. Uh, maybe God brought the animals to Adam, but I like to think that God tasked him to go and to find them. Yeah. And so he was an explorer. He was a biologist. Safari. Do you like doing those things on earth? Maybe you were meant to do them. And yeah. the thing is... Because God will be infinitely revealed to us, he is an infinite being. It's never going to be old. It will never be stale. It will always be new. And the thing is, what we do now glorifies God, but outside of the presence of sin, it will infinitely glorify Mm -hmm. him. And there will never cease to be this continual outpouring of worship and adoration and love all to God's glory, the way that was meant to be in the first place. Absolutely. There's a beautiful scene in this silver the Silver Chair, Lewis's uh, Narnian book, The Silver Chair. The 90s band? No. (coughs) Sounds like a 90s. Different. And uh, they're in this underworld, and they're in danger of falling under the enchantment of this evil queen of the underworld. And Puddleglum, the beautiful uh, Marsh Wiggle, um, who Lewis modeled on his gardener, actually. uh, Poor guy. Yeah. um, Is obstinate in the face of her... Uh, disillusioning enchantments and she's basically trying to convince them that there is no overworld there is no narnia all there is is the cave essentially that they're in like plato's cave and puddle glum's obstinance is basically expressed in 
even if there is no Narnia, I'm going to live as if there is, because I essentially refuse to believe that I can come up with, in my imagination, a better world than the world mm. as you're presenting it. Yeah. Like if the if the shadow of reality that you're trying to sell us as the real thing is truly reality, then something that inherently rings false about that to me is that I can conceive in my own mind of a better world than that. And so I don't think that we are going to imagine something better than heaven and that whatever conception of heaven is brought to us, we could say, I could improve upon that in five minutes time with the things that bring me pleasure on earth. Um, And so, uh, I mean, there's something rich and true to no eye is seen and no ear is heard um, about the... The, and the glories and the beauties that await. I mean, us. Edwards talks about when the Spirit has done His work in you, you will learn to hear and speak the language of heaven. And he says, and when we can speak the language of heaven, we can, you know, now switching to Calvin's analogy, if the Word of God, special revelation, are like the glasses through which we can now see the world around us, general revelation, rightly. And when we can speak the language of heaven by the Spirit, Edward says, you can look at a tree and learn about righteousness because that's what Psalm 1 does. Mm. You can taste honey and know about the goodness of God's word. And now switching to Doug Wilson, I mean, the natural world is not just a ladder that we're supposed to climb up to get to God and then we kick it away and say, thanks, you did your job. Mm -hmm. It is an eternal echo chamber that as we experience the good things God made in Thanksgiving, we thank him for it and he delights in our enjoying it and he you know and it beams back and forth you know if if my wife made me my favorite meal for my birthday and i came home and i just stared and i was like thank you so much this means the world to me and she says well you can eat no i'm not gonna eat that you know you're enough for me i just mm-hmm. want to be with you right. i love you i want to see your smile there's a little bit of like frustration. No, I made that because I want to see you enjoy it. That's right. And seeing you enjoys it makes me feel joy. And I think you're right. We have this tendency to maybe over-spiritualize heaven. And I think we kind of fall off both sides of the horse where heaven's either an eternal church service or like a retirement community mm-hmm. where we have like activity. What's going on at 12 today? Well, we're going to play shuffleboard in Jesus' name. <laughs> amen. Right. You know? Uh, a cruise. Yeah. No, I think that's good. And obviously you it gets mis. We're not talking about this, but the person who says, I just want to go to hell and party or, you know, their conception of heaven is, I just want God to leave me alone so that there's no ethical demands on my life. So I can continue to abuse and misuse people for my own gratification. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not to say, well, if you can, you know, whatever your conception of heaven is, it's going to be like that only infinitely yeah. better. Um, so, so someone said to me once, when I go to heaven, I'm just never going to be able to leave Jesus feet. I'm just going to stare at his face all day. And, what I wanted to say to her was when you go to heaven in every conversation, everything you do, all you will see is Jesus. Right, that's face. right. Yeah. Now the last word in the apostles creed is amen. Just a period at the end of the sentence. What yeah. do you think? Yeah. I just wanted to read. Luther has this cool line about amen. He says, uh, you must always speak the amen firmly. Never doubt that God in his mercy will surely hear you and say yes to your prayers. Never think that you are kneeling or standing alone rather than think that the whole of Christendom, all devout Christians are standing there beside you and you are standing among them in a common united petition, which God cannot disdain. Do not leave your prayer without having said or thought very well. God has heard my prayer. This I know as a certainty and a truth. And this is what amen means. 
So what? What does it mean that we believe in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting? Well, as believers in Christ, as Christians, we believe in salvation for sin, that Christ provided a propitiation for our sin, the satisfaction of God's wrath on the cross. By faith, through grace alone, we now experience expiation for our sins. There is nothing more needed to receive the forgiveness that God gives us for sins past, present, and future. And we look forward to a future with God, to a physical resurrection, a time when Christ will be making all things new as he has begun to in our own lives, so that our entire being, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, may be maximally to the glorifying worship of God for all eternity. Well, join us next time as we begin our new series on heresy, the gospel according to the heretics, where we will be examining various Christian heresies throughout church history. 